Amen. Let me encourage you to join me in taking your copy of God's Word or finding a pew Bible. We turn together to our passage this morning, which is Proverbs chapter 4. We were in this passage last week as well, but we took a big picture view of it uh, by looking at this tradition of godly wisdom being passed down through godly generations. And that's part of the wisdom of the Christian life, part of the wisdom of the Christian family. Uh, that a godly family will pass down godly wisdom throughout all generations. Of course, this is something that begins with faith in Jesus. You can only be godly through faith in Jesus. But it also includes pointing others to, to Jesus. Sometimes we think of wisdom as speaking it. But what we find in Proverbs 4 is that not only we are to share the wisdom of God in words, but we're to live it out as well. We're to talk to talk, but we're to also walk to walk. We're not supposed to be those who say, just do as I say, not what I do. That's contradictory. That's not wisdom. So Proverbs 4 is about how we talk the talk, but also how we walk the walk. So I want us to come back to it this morning. I want us to focus really on five verses. I want us to get this in before we move on to the next chapter. So we're not going to read all of Proverbs 4. We're just going to look at verses 14 through 19. So Proverbs 4, uh, 14 through 19. Let me pray for us and then we will read God's word together and see what it has in store for us. So let me again pray. Join me as we pray. Uh, Father, we do come to you now and we Thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your wisdom in Proverbs, especially here in chapter 4. We pray that you be with us as we read these verses, that you would help us understand this and help us to understand uh, your wisdom, especially in how we live out your wisdom. So be with me as your messenger. Be with your people uh, as your flock. We will only hear you. and We will only be pointed to Jesus, and we will be uh, encouraged in our faith to uh, to follow after you, to, to, to love your wisdom, and to walk in it more and more. So be with us in that way, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. So Proverbs 4, verses 14 through 19. And join me now as we stand for the reading of God's word. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it, do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep, unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness, and they drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter unto full day. The way to wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. As I stand here this morning, as your pastor in his pulpit, as the shepherd of his flock, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that I believe evil is real. I believe evil is present. I am beyond convinced and convicted of those truths. Evil is real. And evil is present. By present, that's not a passive-aggressive way for me getting at one of you, but I mean present that's what we read earlier from, from Galatians. It's a part of our present reality. Evil is real. And evil is very much a part of our lives. Paul talked about that as we saw earlier in our Galatians passage, uh, in our, our assurance of pardon and grace. But he talks about it also with the Ephesian church. As he, as their pastor, 
talks to them, he talks about their present reality, but that their present reality includes a spiritual reality. And in that spiritual reality is evil. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, over the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So as Paul is pastoring the Ephesian church through his letter, he says, your present reality is a battle. It's a fight. It's a wrestling match. But it's not against each other. It's not against those outside the church. It's against evil. You Ephesian Christians, here's your present reality. There is evil around you. And you have to deal with it. So we wrestle. We battle, we fight against evil, we do it against Satan, against his works, and with people who more readily follow his ways than the way of the Lord. And what was true for the Ephesians is true for us. It hasn't changed. Our current reality is that evil is very much real, and evil is very much present in our lives. Now we may tend to think of evil kind of in in, in big terms. And we think of men like Adolf Hitler. He's evil with a capital E. Osama bin Laden. Uh, Saddam Hussein. Right? Those are evil men. We think of those, those people who go in and they shoot up schools. And movie theaters. And grocery stores and malls. Right? They're evil. Serial killers. They're evil. And we tend to think of them like evil with a capital E. Right? But that's over there. Right? That's, that's somewhere else. But it's not here. But that's not how Scripture talks about our present reality. So when we think about evil and just these big capital letters of these big horrible people, then we end up making a disconnect from what is the reality of our lives. We, we, we're trying to put our heads in the sand and pretend... That, that evil isn't as much of a part of our present reality as it really is. We, we, we want to keep it out there, keep it away from us. But we can't escape reality. The reality is, as Paul teaches, that evil isn't just out there, but it's around us, it's on our level, it's, it's with us and around us. Evil is a part of our present reality. It is real. And it's a part of our lives. That may be present in our lives and our neighbors, our co-workers, in the community. We maybe even find it maybe in our own families. But when we stop and we look, we find evil is real. Evil is very much a part of our reality. And when I say evil, I don't necessarily mean people who go around you know, drawing pentagrams everywhere and they sacrifice animals and do weird things out in the woods at night while they wear dark hooded robes, right? It's not just Satanists. Now evil, evil can look a whole lot more normal than that. I like how Pastor George Robertson defines evil in his devotional on the book of Romans. Evil is cold and unfeeling. It expresses neither real sorrow nor real joy for others. It's hard and devoid of conscience. It believes that whatever it desires is right. It is shameless, arrogant, it is mocking and destructive. 
By being deceitful and subtle, it rarely shows itself as evil. Rather, it portrays itself as helpful, open, and kind, but it will make the offended feel guilty and at fault. So evil isn't just uh, pitchforks and fork tails and fire and brimstone. Evil can seem normal. When we take this definition and we think about evil, we realize it may be all around us. When you go to KJ's or Food Lion or you make your way to Blythewood and go to uh, Columbia, make your way to, to Walmart, wherever, it may be that who is, who's there shopping next to you may be very evil. They're not wearing a dark hooded robe and listening to satanic heavy metal and drawing pentagrams all over the place. They could look just like a normal person. Because evil is real. And evil is present in our lives. One of my favorite movie quotes uh, it says, uh, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. I think there's some truth to that as far as you can find truth in Hollywood spiritual wisdom. But I think also the other greatest trick the devil has pulled is making evil seem so normal. When we think back to that quote, we see how evil has become really part of the norm. It's real. It's present and it's all around us. It's important that we keep in mind who can be evil. The Bible speaks very clearly. There are only two groups of people in this world, Christians and non-Christians. Either you belong to God or you are set against God. And what we know about the Christian faith is uh, uh, you cannot be evil. That can't be a part of who you are because you're saved by Christ. And when you're saved by Christ, you now belong to him. You are in him. You are now indwelt by the spirit of Christ. Your nature cannot be evil. Now, we can do things that are evil. We have those occasions where we act in evil ways. But we can't be evil because we belong to the holy and righteous God. So we are indwelt by him. We cannot be evil. So there's some good news for us this morning, right? So that leaves non-Christians. But I don't think it's fair to look at all non-Christians and say, well, you're all evil, because they're not. Not all non-Christians are evil. Some are morally good people. Right? They, they drive the speed limits. They pay their taxes. They're nice to their neighbors. They, they try to do the right thing. They just don't know Jesus. We want them to know Jesus. They don't know Jesus, but they're not evil in what they do. We can trust them. We can, we can respect them. They're good people. They just need to know Jesus. They don't spend their lives majoring in evil things. But there are non-Christians who are evil. And again, not demonically possessed and their heads are spinning 360 degrees and they're you know, drawing pentagrams and stuff like that. They're just as normal looking as you and me. But as we get to know them, we find they're cold and unfeeling. They, they are incapable of expressing neither real sorrow or joy for others. They can say the words, but you realize they're just words. They're devoid of conscience. They believe that whatever they desire is right and they're going to get it. And you find that they're, they're shameless, they're, they're arrogant, they're mocking, they're destructive. They, they portray themselves as, as helpful, open, and kind. But then you find that they make the offended feel guilty and that they're the ones always at fault. That seems 
normal at times, doesn't it? It's the evil around us. It may be the evil we know in someone. And this is part of wisdom that is being passed down through these godly generations. What David shared with Solomon and Solomon is now sharing with his son. So for us to be biblically wise, to have godly wisdom, we have to think through evil. It's not out there. It's around us. And I want to notice a, a couple ways of how evil is described here. Verse 16, Solomon says, evil is so addictive that at night that these people cannot sleep unless they're, they're, they're forging evil. And so by day, they, they nourish themselves and execute their plans. So if you were to get up at night, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, go get a drink of water, and you look across the street, neighbor's lights are on. If you were to drive by there, evil up night, up at night plotting and thinking and reveling in it. Now, I'm not saying all night owls. Some of us are night owls. I'm not saying all night owls are evil. But, but Solomon's very clear. Evil doesn't sleep. They're up at night, plotting it, thinking of it, reveling in it. It's become their real nature. When they lay out nights, they're not counting sheep to go to sleep. They're thinking evil things, they're plotting evil things, they're reveling in the evil they have wrought. We think of what the prophet Micah says in chapter 2, verse 1. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in their power is in the power of their hand. So evil is who they are. It's become their nature. It's what they naturally and instinctively do. But Solomon also describes it in another ordinary way. He talks about it in terms of, of bread and wine. Of course, we go back to the context here. Bread was the ordinary staple of food for the Hebrews. They need it for their daily existence. You take bread away from them, and they're going to suffer, and they're going to die. And Solomon says, think of this bread. That's how, that's how evil is. It, 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 it's this wisdom that evil has become their necessary nutrients. It's what keeps them going through the day. They're not thinking about getting bread for some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. They're thinking about evil. And like bread, they feast on it and they survive off of it. You take it away from them and they suffer. So evil has become so much part of their life. It's become their bread. And he said, it's the wine of violence. They drink the wine of violence. They, they drink the wine of the result of evil. And of course, excuse me, we go back to that context. Wine was an ordinary staple of life for them as well. It wasn't safe to drink water then. They, they didn't boil it and get all, all, all the, the, the bad stuff out of it. So they would drink wine. It was an ordinary staple of their life. So evil has become so ordinary, it's like a, it's like a daily meal for them. But Solomon may be doing something interesting here with the wine. I want to think through it two ways. When we think about wine, what color do we tend to think of? Red, right? Red wine. Which very much looks like the color of what? Blood. So maybe Solomon's painting a picture here to give us the idea of how much they enjoy evil. They drink of it. Their lips are stained with what looks like the color of blood. But also in a time, how would you make wine? You get a big vat, right? And you put 
grapes in. He'd get in there and he'd stomp on the grapes until there's nothing left of them. He'd get all the juice out. He'd stomp on you utterly destroy them. And that's what evil people enjoy. The destruction of other people. When something bad happens, they're the first people on the phone to start calling around to gossip about it. Because they revel in the destruction of somebody's life. It's become so much a part of them, it's their nature. So Solomon is telling his son, evil is so real, it's so present, it's like watching people eat bread and drink wine. And they can only find joy and enjoyment in concocting evil things and reveling in the evil of it. So evil is real. Evil is present. It's around us. So how do we deal with it? Wisdom isn't just the talk, it's the walk, isn't it? So how do we deal wisely with evil? Before us we have a table. The Lord's table. And we're going to come to you together. And on this table is bread. And there's wine. But it's not the bread and wine of evil, is it? It's the bread and wine that points us to Jesus. It's the bread that points us that it was Jesus' body who was broken for our sins. It's it's the wine slash grape juice, the cup that reminds us of Jesus' blood that was spilt for the forgiveness of our sins. It's the bread and wine of the divine Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, our righteousness, our salvation, our Lord and Savior. So as we look at Proverbs 4 within the context of all Scripture and we see it sharing his wisdom on evil, we find that what Solomon's doing is setting the table, so to speak, on how Christians deal with evil. Is what this table points us to, and it's Jesus Christ. How do we deal with evil? We don't repay evil with evil. We run to Jesus. We run to Jesus in faith. We, we think of what Paul says about Jesus in Colossians 2.15. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them and uh, triumphing, triumphing over them in him. Paul is saying Jesus is the one who's defeated all evil. He's the only one who is triumphant over Satan and his works. He's the only one who's able to do this. We go back to Adam. Adam wasn't able to do this. He sinned. He succumbed to evil. And then Noah, the only righteous man on earth, pretty soon after he gets off the ark, what's he do? He succumbs to evil and passes out drunk. Moses, chosen by God to deliver his people, commits the evil of doubting God and grumbling against him. David, the man after God's own heart, has an adulterous affair with Bathsheba and then kills her husband Uriah. Peter denies Jesus. Paul fails Jesus. Matthew failed Jesus. All the disciples failed Jesus. The story is every person in the Bible has failed in sin and evil. It's only Jesus who is able to defeat evil. Even that evil that dwells within us. So biblical wisdom dictates that we deal with evil by first coming Jesus and placing our faith in him. We place our faith in the one who is wisdom incarnate. 
but a wisdom dictates that we follow Jesus. As we've seen so far in Proverbs, there's only two paths we can walk in life. The path of wisdom or the path of evil. The path that leads to God or the path that leads away from God and to Satan. There's no other path. We like to think there's that kind of third path in the middle, right? We can kind of keep one foot over here in holiness so we don't go to hell. But we get to put our foot over here so we can enjoy aspects of hell. But that's not scripture. That's not wisdom. There's only two paths. We don't shadow them. Path of wisdom of God or the path of folly. So we're just simply called to follow Christ. We're called to see that path through Scripture and to follow Him. That's one of the wisest things we can do. We walk in His footsteps so we avoid walking on the path of evil. And we find that when we follow God's wisdom on that path, He sets a hedge around us to keep us on that good path. And when we walk in our path, we find that Jesus is our good shepherd who has gone in front of us. And what does Psalm 23 say about our good shepherd? He leads us to green grass and beside still waters. That's godly wisdom lived out. We run to Jesus in faith and then we walk with Jesus through faith. Third way is what we find at his table. Our, our shorter catechism teaches that when we come to the Lord's table by faith, we are made partakers. We, we partake of Jesus' body and blood with all the benefits therein to our spiritual nourishment and growth and grace. So this table isn't just about remembering Jesus. It isn't just the, the memory of Jesus. But it points us to who he is and what he has done for us. And then through the Holy Spirit, when we come to this through faith, we are strengthened and nourished in and through his grace to live as his disciples. This, this is a staple of our spiritual lives. We need this bread. We need this cup. And we need it to deal with evil. Through the strength and nourishment of this table, we're called, or we're equipped to live the Christian life, but also to deal with evil. I think of it this way. We've all watched those movies and seen those movies uh, where it's good versus evil, good guys versus bad guys. And, and we find you know, the good guys are in their fortress, or they're in their bunker, or they're in their spaceship, whatever the context is. And here come the bad guys. The bad guys are coming to assault the good guys. And there's that scene where the good guys run somewhere in their bunker, their fortress, their spaceship, somewhere, and they run over to the armory. And they open up the lockers. And what are they taking out of lockers? Guns and armor. You see them grabbing the guns. You see them grabbing helmets. They're grabbing guns and they're grabbing armor. They're getting ready for the offense and they're getting ready for the defense. They're grabbing their guns so they can battle against the bad guys, but they're also grabbing protection because the bad guys are coming against them. And when we faithfully come to this table, we are running to Christ for his help, for his spiritual weapons, so we can battle against evil. This table enables us to be on the offense against evil. But it also gives us defense. Because we're being nourished and grown in the Holy Spirit, so we're protected against evil. It's offense and defense. It's interesting to note, and we're not we're run with this because we're on a time limit, but it's interesting to note that Jesus instituted this table, this supper, this Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, right before the greatest evil 
ever perpetrated by man was committed. Think about that. What's the last thing Jesus did with his disciples before the greatest evil was ever perpetrated? Here's my body and here's my blood. Jesus took his disciples to the same table and to the same meal. Why? So they could be prepared for the evil that was going to happen to him and then come after them. So the wisdom, Proverbs 4, in the context of all scripture, is that this sacrament was given in part to help us battle against evil by us being in Christ and protecting us in evil by helping us keep on the path of wisdom. So we need this because evil never sleeps. So we come to this table to be nourished so we will not walk in the way of evil, but we will continue to walk in the path of God's wisdom. That's how we deal with the evil that we live in. Pray with me.